Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, who he was with betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, and suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as they had been told of them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everyone. You can grab a seat. Welcome. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, my name is Ian. I get the privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at the King's Church. And uh, Merry Christmas. It's great to be with you, gathered for uh, worship uh, this evening. Uh, a few directives if you are new, by the way. We do have a cry room that's in the back here if you need to step in there with a child at all. And we have a nursing mom's room through this side uh, with the feet of the service if that would uh, serve you well. Uh, but I'm glad that you've joined us. It's a little uh, cool memory for us here at the King's Church. Uh, last year, uh, we gathered for worship in this building for the first time on Christmas Eve. And so it's a cool milestone to come back. And uh, I promised candles last year, and hopefully you have one in your hand. We're going to celebrate with a little candlelight a little bit later on uh, in the service. Uh, we've been exploring uh, the theme of humility uh, here at the King's Church throughout this Advent season, and I want us to look at this theme once more uh, through the lens this evening of the humble people. And to help us see this, I want us to think for just a moment about uh, nativity sets or scenes for just a minute. How many of you have a little nativity uh, set somewhere in your Christmas decorations at home? Yep, kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's the little barn or shed with the manger with the baby Jesus in it and the rest of the gang kind of gather around. Now, here's what I want to ask you. When is the last time you thought about just how crazy and ridiculous that nativity scene is? I mean, after all, if the Bible is true and what we just heard in the scripture reading is true, Christmas tells us that none other than the very Son of God 
came to earth in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And when God comes to earth, who is there to witness it? Well, no offense to the crowd gathered, but it is nobody important. You have a likely teenage girl, a man named Joseph that we know little to nothing about beyond this story. We have some shepherds, presumably some animals. I mean, this is quite the motley crew, isn't it? You see, if we're not careful, our familiarity with the nativity scene can cause us to miss just how downright surprising and maybe even subversive this first audience is. Let's just take the shepherds for a moment. We tend to have a very kind of cutesy, sentimental view of shepherds around Christmas time, don't we? I mean, I think of the Christmas pageants where our kids put on like some bath towels or robes or something of that equivalent. Uh, we picture them kind of frolic or frolicking around in the field with fluffy sheep, and they're having a grand old time. It all feels pretty innocent and non-threatening, doesn't it? But here's what we actually know about shepherds from this time period. Shepherds were viewed with great disdain and suspicion. See, the shepherds lived a very nomadic lifestyle as they were caring for their sheep and tending the flock, and so therefore they were often accused and often guilty, by the way, of stealing. They kind of lived on the fringes of society. They were ritually unclean, according to the law of Moses. Shepherds were so looked down upon, they were not even qualified to bear legal witness in a courtroom due to their ill repute in society. One commentator says that only lepers were viewed as a lower-class citizen in Israel than shepherds. Nobody would have thought these shepherds as cute or sentimental. They would have looked at them with suspicion and disdain. But yet, it is to, of all people, shepherds, these humble people, that the angel appears to in the field to deliver the most incredible news that the world has ever heard. And friends, if God chose, of all people, shepherds to be the first recipients of the glorious news of Jesus, then this message truly is for all people, as our text says tonight. Even you sitting here in this room, halfway around the world, some 2,000 years later. And if what the angels proclaim is true, then Christmas is good news of great joy and an invitation to worship. And listen, friends, that invitation to worship, anyone can get in on it. So let's pray, and then we're going to walk through this text together. But let's ask the Lord to help us see this good news together, shall we? Father, we thank you for the chance this evening to gather for worship. We thank you for uh, the good news of Christmas. Pray now as we hear once more from your word, as we consider what it means for our lives, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would show us what it means. Holy Spirit, that you would give us the ears to hear the eyes to see, and hearts to respond in a fresh way tonight to the good news of the gospel, the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ to save his people from their sins. Help us to treasure that good news, help us to worship, and help us to receive that with joy and with gratitude. Be with us now in our time, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this evening, I want to see three kind of movements quickly through this text. I want to look at the content of Christmas the chorus of Christmas, and then finally, the call of Christmas. Uh, beginning with the content of Christmas, uh, as we have just heard that was read, Mary has given birth to Jesus in Bethlehem, and I want to pick up the text in verse 8. Luke tells us there that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. If we can try to put ourselves in the position of these shepherds for just a moment, it's probably a pretty average evening out tending and caring for their flock, being watchful for predators who might want to attack their sheep. We can imagine, by the way, without modern electricity, just how dark a countryside would be in this period of the world, in this time period and in this place in the world. And then suddenly and abruptly, an angel of the Lord appears. And Luke tells us that the glory of the Lord shone around them. In this moment, the angel is pulling back the curtain on the heavens so that the shepherds are given a glimpse of God's glory that is always there, by the way, but is often out of sight for us. Now, God's glory in the scriptures means his radiant beauty, his holiness, his awesomeness. And I know we use awesome for everything, but truly awesomeness. And his perfection that is seen and experienced. This would have been a burning, hot flash of light and a glory that pierces through the darkness of night that they probably would have had a hard time explaining to others. And quite frankly, this glory is too much for us humans to handle. Did you notice how the shepherds responded? As awesome as this experience might sound, and as much as you and I might like to see that glimpse of God's glory, the shepherds are not excited. What are they? They are downright terrified. It says they were filled with great fear, literally a mega fear. And if that was us in those fields, we would have been terrified too. And I know this because this is always the response in the Bible when an encounter like this takes place. And the reason why is when you experience God's glory in this way, it reveals that there is an obvious difference between God and between us. And specifically, there's an overwhelming sense in this type of experience that God is holy and we are not. This kind of experience does not lead to a, whoa, come check this out response. Instead, like the prophet Isaiah, the response is, woe is me. Woe is me. It produces a mega fear. Now let me ask you this evening, what has you afraid tonight? I'm assuming you're afraid of something because you're a human being. Maybe you're not. If so, maybe this isn't for you. But what are you afraid of? If we're honest with ourselves, so often our lives are marked by fear, aren't they? We are a people who are full of fear and anxiety and uncertainty. And in one sense, we have every reason to be afraid. This world that we live in is a broken place. We all have a sense deep down that things here are not the way they are supposed to be. Even this time of year with Christmas cheer all around, we can't help but remember the empty seats at the table. We are uncertain what this next year might bring and if the people that we love are going to be okay. This certainly produces a fear within us. But deeper than even that fear is something that lies at the bottom. And at the bottom of all of our fears is that we are a people who, if we are honest with ourselves, are stuck in sin. We're stuck in sin. Sin and wrongdoing is the reason why all of this has gone haywire in the first place. 
And the scriptures tell us that no one is righteous, no, not one, but that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all in our own way turned away from God and now are gripped by fear. Uh, Pastor Ray Ortland has said it this way, it is our guilty consciences that makes God terrifying. Santa Claus we can handle. We line up to take pictures with him at the mall, but God, if he were to make an appearance at the mall, no line would form. Now in the midst of their great fear, and whatever our fears are, the good news is, is that the angel opens his mouth and speaks. And what does he say? What's the first thing out of his mouth in verse 10? The angel said to them, Fear not. Fear not. God knows their fears, and by the way, he knows our fears here in this room this evening. How can we possibly fear not? Well, let's keep reading. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel says, fear not, because I am bringing you good news. That word good news is the word gospel. The angel comes with a gospel that he says is of great joy. You see what's happened here. The angel has met them in their mega fear. And what does he promise them? Mega joy. Don't we all want that? Well, how do we get in on that? Well, every word of this message from the angel is meant to lead us to that great joy. He says, unto you. Remember, speaking to shepherds, the outcasts of society who nobody trusted. Unto you, there is one born in this day in the city of David, in Bethlehem. This would bring up, this reference to David, a remembrance of the promise of God to King David in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 7 when he promises that one will come from David who will reign over God's people forever. And in this moment, things don't look so good. They're occupied and ruled by a harsh and oppressive Roman regime. And this one who is to be born is a savior. What is a savior? Well, savior is a deliverer. Someone who rescues those who are in danger or those who are on the brink of death or destruction and saves them, rescues them, delivers them. And this Savior, we know, will not come just to save us from our circumstances, but Matthew's gospel says he will save his people from their sins, that fear that lies at the very bottom. He's a Savior who is Christ. This word Christ means Messiah. He is the long-promised one, the one that was promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the offspring of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpents once and for all, the one whom the prophets foretold and the ones that the kings foreshadowed. He is a savior, he is Christ, but he also is the Lord, which means this baby is God himself. You see, friends, Christmas is not just about a birth, it is about a coming. The baby that is lying in the manger is the eternal word made flesh. And this is specifically what we celebrate today. We are not here to celebrate merely the birth of some important figure in history. 
No, we are here this evening to celebrate the fact that God himself came and took on flesh, uniquely fully God and fully man. It is a wonderful, glorious mystery. As one Christmas hymn puts it, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Those are some loaded lyrics, aren't they? We don't think about that when it's on in the background at Starbucks, but man, what a rich, glorious truth. And this God, this Christ, this Messiah, this Lord, comes not with pomp and circumstance for all to see, but instead he is born in obscurity. He is born not in Jerusalem or in Rome, but in the backcountry village of Bethlehem. He's born not in a palace, but in a manger, which, by the way, is a feeding trough for animals. This doesn't seem to add up to this glorious pronouncement, but the humility of his birth points to what this child's life was headed to all along, which is the humility of a crucifixion. J.I. Packer says it this way, the crucial significance of the cradle at Bethlehem lies in its place in the sequence of steps that lead to the Son of God to the cross of Calvary. The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. It's the most wonderful message the world has ever heard or will hear. That is the content of Christmas. Secondly, let's consider the chorus of Christmas. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Suddenly it's as if that angel pulls back that curtain of heaven just a little bit further, and he gives the shepherds a vision of the multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Now, usually when we think of this scene, what do we think of? We think of like this heavenly choir, right? Like all of these angels dressed in white robes, they've got their wings, right? They're kind of floating around in heaven. There's some harps being plucked. They're singing in an extremely high-pitched voice that none of us can follow. That's the vision we have, right? Now, these angels very well could be singing, but the word host here is the word for a military unit. It's the word for soldiers, which means that these shepherds now, let's go back to what their, their experience is, God's glory is shining all around them, then they get even more of a glimpse of it, and they are gazing into the heavenly army of God. And these angels, by the way, are not weak in this role of warrior. Now, just as a taste, if you go back to Joshua chapter 5, Joshua's on his way to Jericho, and an angel of the Lord appears. And the picture of this angel is not choir robe, wings kind of hanging out, floating around. No, Joshua tells us that there is a sword drawn in his hand, blocking his path. And Luke tells us there's a multitude of that up in the heavens. If the shepherds were scared before, imagine how they are now. And the angelic army here is proclaiming a battle cry. They are saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. What does that battle cry mean? 
key here is to notice that the angels are bridging the gap between heaven and earth. Let's begin upward. They say, glory to God in the highest. Now just imagine for a moment all that the angels had seen in their existence. I mean, they had seen part of the creation of the universe. All of the miracles that God has performed throughout history, they had a front row seat to. They could see what we can't see, his divine hand behind the scenes. But yet, it is in this moment, the moment that God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, condescends to earth that everything else that they have seen pales in comparison. This is the moment they proclaim glory to God in the highest. It is because in this child that is born, Scripture tells us all of the promises of God find their yes and their amen in him. Everything has been leading to this moment. Human history has been building toward the incarnation of Christ, and it happens, and the angels say, glory to God in the highest, which then leads them to consider earth. Because God himself has come, what is the outcome? The outcome, according to the angels, is peace. They know that the birth of Christ brings peace to those who have been stuck and enslaved in bondage to sin and to fear. The multitude of the heavenly hosts know that Christ's coming was to defeat the enemy and to bring a reign of peace to the world and to a people who desperately need it. Their battle cry is nothing less than a declaration of war on evil, sin, and death through what will be accomplished through this Savior. So let me ask you this evening, are you at peace this Christmas season? Is your soul settled before God and before others? Or is it restless? Is it longing for something more? We desperately want peace, don't we? Well, this peace that is declared, this peace that is promised, this peace that will be accomplished is both with God and with one another. Friends, peace with God is our greatest need as human beings. But this peace comes at a cost. The beauty here is that this battle cry is drawing attention that this peace will come through this Savior, but he will not win it with swords and ancient warfare. No, it will be won through the perfect life and the sacrificial, substitutionary suffering and death of the very Son of God. As we just sang in that beautiful hymn, nails, spears shall pierce him through the cross he bore for me and for you. See, Jesus is coming as a conqueror who wins his battle and accomplishes this peace through the hostility of the cross. But then his victory is sealed at his resurrection three days later. He is stripping sin, death, and evil of their power once and for all, and he promises to come again and to establish his rule and reign forever. This is the chorus of Christmas, along with the angels, because we know the finished work of Christ. We can proclaim glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And all of this is an invitation. This news demands something of those who hear it. This is the call of Christmas. You see, no one hears that news and then responds neutrally or just shrugs their shoulders. C.S. Lewis says it rightly when he says, Christianity of false is of no importance. And if true, 
of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So this evening, in an effort to not make this moderately important, what's the invitation? Let's keep reading verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. I love the urgency and the obedience of the shepherds here who, don't forget, can't even legally serve as witnesses in a court case in Jerusalem. What does the Lord do? He commissions them as the first witnesses of the gospel. Go run with haste. They are entrusted and commissioned to spread this good news that produces great joy to all people. And as the shepherds relay all that they've experienced, it produces three responses. The first is in verse 18. It says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The first response is wonder and amazement. And this, by the way, is the first step of faith. To be taken aback and captivated by this gospel, this good news. The fact that though we are all completely undeserving and lost, though we have all gone after our own way, the great shepherd of our souls has come to bring us back to the fold. Jesus has come for us. He has died for us. He has been raised for us. And he has come to offer forgiveness and new life. When that really begins to sink in, what does it produce? Wonder and amazement. Second, we see the response of Mary in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The arrival of the shepherds had to be a great comfort to Mary, who is told by the angel she was going to serve in this role, and the shepherds come and they confirm the identity of this child. And Mary, this is the idea of treasuring and pondering, of closely considering. She's spending time beholding the beauty and the power of this gospel. She is thinking about how to situate her entire self in light of its truth. And the invitation is the same to us today. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon says it like this, the more that we look at the incarnation, the more we are astonished. The more we become accustomed to it, the more have we a sense of its surpassing splendor of love and grace. There is more of God's glory and majesty to be seen in the manger and the cross than in the sparkling stars above, the rolling deep below, the towering mountain, the teeming valleys, the abodes of life, or the abyss of death. Let us then give ourselves up to holy wonder, such as will produce gratitude, worship, love, and confidence as we think of that great mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh. Let's give ourselves up to that kind of wonder. And then thirdly, we see in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The shepherds go back to their field. They go back to their task, but they certainly don't go back the same as when they left. Instead, they are now glorifying and praising God. They go about doing the things they were doing before, but now with a newfound joy and peace and purpose. You know what all of those responses simply adds up to? 
all of this makes up the idea of worship. If the content of Christmas is this, fear not, there is good news of great joy for all the people because a Savior has come, then the call of Christmas, the invitation of Christmas, friends, is simply this, worship the King. Worship the one who has come and do so with humility and with joy and with gratitude. Let me close with this. This year is the 57th year running of the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Anybody have a tradition to watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special? Uh, Not sure if you ever noticed this, but arguably it's climactic moment. Charlie Brown is frustrated and he cries out, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And his friend Linus is standing there. And what does Linus always have with him? His blue blanket, right? And so Linus, in a moment of boldness, goes out on stage and he begins to tell the meaning of Christmas by reading this very passage we're considering this evening. And he tells the story of the terrifying glory that's shown upon the shepherds. And then he gets to the part where the angel opens his mouth and he quotes, Fear not. And at that moment, you know what he does? Drops his blankets. Linus has found a courage he's never had before. And the greater message is clear. The birth of Jesus is meant to separate us from our fears. The birth of Christ is an invitation to drop whatever security blanket we might be holding on to and to instead grasp hold of him in faith. Friends, this world is a scary and dark place. And we are a sinful and broken people who have contributed to the problem. But the coming of Christ, our Savior and our Lord, means fear not. This invitation of good news, of great joy, is before you this evening. For those humble people who turn to him in faith and repentance of their sins, they will receive joy, peace, and hope. And that joy, peace, and hope won't eliminate the pain of this life, but it whets our appetite for the promise of the return of this king, where we will experience it in its fullness. And friends, those things will not be found anywhere else. So this evening, I urge you, fear not, turn to the Christ, the Savior who was born. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful, incredible, too-good-to-be-true feeling news. I pray tonight that you would uh, stir up within us a fresh worship and a reminder of what this means as we step into this Christmas season. Lord, for those in this room who might be suffering this evening, who are struggling, who are feeling the depths of sin and pain, may you comfort them. May you draw them to yourself. May your kindness lead them to repentance and faith. And for those who have put their hope in you tonight, may they be encouraged. May you fan into flame their faith. And may all of us experience the joy and the peace that is offered to us at Christmas and has been secured by the finished work of our Savior. Help us to remember that the cradle connects to the cross. And Jesus, we thank you that you have died that you have risen, that you have ascended, and you have promised to come again. May you sustain our faith until that day. Pray that all in Christ's name.